Bible and turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1. And we're, we will be looking at verses one, uh, 8 through 11. I'm sorry. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. Uh, so what's so good about the law? That's what we're talking about this morning. Okay. Got your Bible open there? All right. Uh, look here. What's your favorite Western movie? Uh, your favorite Western movie, not the Three Amigos kind of. That's not a Western movie. Um, you know, Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, those kinds, you know. So, uh, so just, you know, be thinking here. Some good movies, not all of them are good, but some good movies that depict the virtue and the value of the law. A group of settlers coming up and starting up a community. Um, and what do we quickly realize and recognize as the plot? Moral failings, violations, injustices. Where's the sheriff? Innocent become victims, victims of the bad guys. The bad guys are a law unto themselves. You know? They're mean. They're ruthless. They're the bad guys. They're in black, I think. And how does the movie end? You ever see the Western movie end with the bad guys winning out? That's not a Western movie. It's an Italian, bad Italian movie. Something like that. You know, did the bad guys ride off into the sunset with the doll? With the, with the girl? No. No, we all admire the good guy who brought about law and order. Jimmy Stewart. Right? John Wayne. Oh, yeah, yeah. We hear the amens there. All right. You're waiting for John Wayne. I know. So, no, I'm sure there's some John Wayne uh, voices out there. Thank you. Uh, how do, I don't know even how he says it. I don't want to sound like Elvis here or something. So we're really confusing and messing up the matter there. Sorry. Okay. So the Apostle Paul takes time to explain the value of the law to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor at Ephesus. And he's saying, here's the value of the law. And in order that this church at Ephesus, and at any church that meets as the body of Christ, they must go by sound doctrine. They must go by what will bring about stability and health. They must. And if not, there's going to be disarray. You know, and it is. It's interesting to think of different Westerns, you know, in the little community. And when there's no sheriff or when there's a weak sheriff, all sorts of those illustrations pop up in our minds. And it's a mess until law is set forth. However, for many of us, we can even add something to the mix of the plot. If somebody uses the law in a wrong way, then we still got problems, right? We still got problems. So, 
we want to understand, according to the Bible, here this morning, why is the law good? Why is it good? For most of us, most of you, you say you're a Christian. And therefore, in the back of your mind, some way, somehow, the law is like, oh, I don't have to worry about that. And yet, you know, there's another side to it also that says, you don't have to keep working. You don't, the job's been done, and that's what we're going to see here today. So what we want to understand is what's, what are the, what's the reason for the law being good? He says that in verse 8. Look at it. Let's read it together here. Verse 8. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for unholy and profane, for those who kill or strike their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. So number one, the law reveals God's character. Follow along in your outline. There's the provide in the bulletin. The, the law reveals God's character. Considering the Ten Commandments, that's when we say the law, that's what we want to just go to right away in our minds. We're not talking about the ceremonial law. Okay, we're just saying here, here's the, the Ten Commandments and that equates to the law in our minds right now. Okay, so the foundational reason for the law is the foundational reason is to reveal the character of its author. Okay. The perfection of God. And in a sense, we want to show that it was not brought about by some human being. Proves it wasn't the idea of some brilliant philosopher. It wasn't the idea of some powerful dictator or some amazing engineer, professor, or doctor. It was birthed and authored by the, the, the holy creator, God. Okay? And it shows that he knows what is best. When we look at the Ten Commandments, it shows that he knows what is best for us, that he's worthy, that there is no other. So it reveals God's character. He's perfect. If he's not perfect, he's not God. And then we can pack it up and just go home. That's the idea. In our, we need to have that kind of thinking. Since God is, here is his law. And the law is good and holy and righteous. There it is. The law. Okay? Number two. The law serves as man's best moral standard. The law serves as man's best moral standard. Letter A under number two. It is unsurpassed in all of human history. It is unsurpassed in all of human history. We don't have to go far to figure this out as it served to be the blueprint, if you will, for setting up our country, the United States of America. It was behind the law of the land, if you will. Throughout all the world, there has never been a better option for law and order. And especially when we get to saying, you know, we, we hear that term due process. That's a good thing that we can have. Now, I'm not going off right now into a, onto a rabbit trail to talk about how our country is moving away. The point is our country was founded in this way, okay? 
whatever moral code that the ancient nations of the Middle East had was not good enough because it was always man-centered. Think of the time when the, the setting of the law being given to Moses back in Exodus 20. What had to happen prior to that? Moses went to the Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And prior to that, what happened? You know, it was a new Pharaoh and the Pharaoh's thinking, hey, you know, these guys, these Israelites, they're getting, you know, to pressing us in and, and too many. Midwives, if you see that it's a baby boy, you kill them. You kill them. That's what the command was. And many of the midwives did not. You know, they said, oh, the Jewish women are having babies. Boom, boom, boom. There, it's too fast, they were saying. It gets back to this. The Pharaoh was the law of the land. And how many others in the, in the land of Canaan, in the surrounding nations, how many other uh, nations were ruled like that? Just, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Boom. And there it is. And thus, so much of the debauchery... So much of the, the killings of people, you know, were happening in some of these other nations around. Here's the little group of Israel coming forth as God's people. That God was going to use as insignificant people to conquer other nations. This is God. Okay? So... The, the, the law serves as man's best moral standard. It's unsurpassed in all of human history. And yes, here's our country wanting to remove it from its, the public eye. You know, and um, that's, that's something that we don't want. We wouldn't want. And yet it's happening. Here's the voice of the people. And yet, if you really get down to it and say, hey, you know, is it okay if I just steal this from you? Why not? Why can't I steal your car? Why can't I just steal this? What's the deal? What's the matter if I lie to you? What's the matter? I mean, it's okay, isn't it? I mean, you live the way you want. I live the way I want. But see, once we throw that out, then we say, oh, wait, well, no, no, no. No, we don't want that. We want law and order. Well, then what are we going to go by? See that? The value of the law of God, yet, letter B, under number two, yet, it is unattainable. And along with unattainable, it's unbearable. You can't bear it on your own. No one can keep it perfectly. Yet most of us, yes, even believers, think we have a, well, not think, but we do. We have a strong attraction to live by the law, even believers and it's very subtle. It's not a big overt thing, but it's very subtle because you and I tend to always think I got to pay it back to God so that I get extra points with God so that I get extra pleasing, whatever favor from God. That's how we are kind of, that's our chemistry. It's like we want to prove to God that we're good enough. And so as a believer, we still can function in that way. That's not living by grace, is it? So it's, it's unattainable. It's unbearable. You know, uh, turn to Romans chapter 3. Keep your finger in 1 Timothy. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 19 and 20. 
Romans 3, 19 and 20 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed or every mouth is going to be shut. You have no answer to the law. You, you have none. None of us do. And that all the world may become what? What is that? Look at it. Accountable to God. You're, you and I will be accountable to God. Verse 20, because the, by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For though the law, or I'm sorry, for through the law comes the knowledge of sin. And we're going to get to that in just the next point. Okay? So, no one will be justified because no one is perfect. No one will be justified by the works of the law. So here we all agree with that. Yet you and I still live with the idea that your behavior, your behavior, your good works counts with God. It's like, you know, I've got my account. And because of my good behavior, I'm thinking my account is rising with God or something. I'm getting more blessing or something. We've got to be careful not to, you know, mix things up. It's very easy to mix things up like this. Are my works necessary? Are, are my works a necessary ingredient of making myself right with God? Are my works a necessary ingredient of making myself right with God? If that's what I think, if that's what you think, then Christ's work is of little value to you. It really um, comes to that. It's really of little value to you what Christ did. Because what you're doing, what you're saying is, you're living in such a way that says, well, thanks, Jesus, for getting me in. And now it's up to me to complete the job for my, uh, you know, because of my good works. It's up to me. It's going to bring more of God's favor is what you think. Now, Galatians tells us. Look, think of this. Paul writes and says, oh, you foolish Galatians. And I turn it and say, oh, you foolish Christians, you foolish Christians who has bewitched you having begun by the spirit regenerated, justified by faith alone in Christ alone. Are you now being made perfect by the works of the flesh? Okay. Listen, his grace is sufficient to save you. And now to help you in growing you, right? And yes, we want to, it, it ought to result in good works. You or I were created, you know, Ephesians 2.10, we're created for good works, okay? To do them for the glory of God. So it's not, I'm not suggesting you just push it all out of the way and say, well, we don't do any good works. No, you do them. But you don't do them to climb the ladder of success with God. He's already accomplished it. He already accomplished it. Okay? It's, I said it in Sunday school, Zechariah 4, 6 verse, it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's where, that's out of which comes the good works. We want to do it understanding his grace. Okay, so... Number one was reveal, it, the law reveals God's character. That's why it's good. It wasn't man's invention. Number two, it serves as the best moral standard for man. 
Number three, it diagnoses man's true condition. The law diagnoses man's true condition. Um, again, this is one of these things where um, we have to understand it properly. The law is not made for a righteous person in verse 9 of First Timothy 1. It's not made for a righteous person. But for those who, and then he launches into a list and tells us. And basically, he's, he's like the, the deputy n- nailing up the, the, the list of public offenses that we've done. And he, he goes through it. Now, this is showing forth the, the problem of man. He exposes the problem of man. And we call that in theological terms, total depravity. But there's a better term, I think, that's been, that's been brought forth in uh, people's writings. Total inability is, the be- is really kind of the, the better statement. Total inability of man. That's a doctrinal point we need to understand. That no one, no one can keep the law perfectly. It shows man's total inability to please God and to keep his law. And so the list of offenses is given. And the first one, it listen, it follows after the Ten Commandments. This list that he gives in verse 9 and 10. He says, it's not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious that introduces us to the source of man's problem it's the issue of his heart and that that responds right away to the first commandment what's the first commandment i shall have no other gods okay and here's the lawlessness and rebelliousness of man and that's what the law is for to show that to, to demonstrate that okay and so second one he says it's to the ungodly and sinners well that that can equate to the second commandment it also just points out the missing the mark romans 3:23 missing the mark and thirdly he says the unholy and profane that equates to the third commandment don't take the name of the lord thy god in vain there this shows man's impurity and man's being polluted by his sin nature, not by the outside circumstances, by his own sin nature. And the reason we say t- total inability is because total depravity sounds like no one can do any good whatsoever. Well, in God's sight, that's the problem. We can't, in God's sight, we can't do anything good that will be accepted by God. You know, I could be the worst criminal in the western town that we live in. And you might be the nicest person. And still, you and and all the nicest people still can't get right with God on your own. Not by keeping the law, because you can't keep the law. Can't keep it perfectly. So, you know... That's the, that's the first tablet of the, the commandments right there. And that's what Paul's giving in these first three couplets that he's giving us. He's saying, here's the, the problem. Lawlessness and rebelliousness, ungodly sinners, um, unholy and profane. And it, in a sense, it, it goes like this. Here's this. God says, thou shalt not. And man steps back and says, man will do whatever he wants. That's the idea. Yes, I shall. I will. God says, here's my law. Man says, no, here's my law, myself. Whether it's Pharaoh or Caesar 
or governor or prince or Woody or whoever. That's what we say. And that just, you know, that can get covered up nice and painted up nice. Or it can be in your face wickedness. Okay? So then from that first one, that's letter A, against God. Whatever it is, it's against God, letter A under number three. The next one, letter B, it's against others. Now he goes from, from giving a general disposition against God to specific acts against others. Look at the list. <clears throat> For those who kill their mothers or fathers. Some of your versions say strike. Um, it's the idea of you don't honor your mother and father. Where does that come from? There it is, the fifth commandment. Commandment number four, uh, don't uh, or, uh, observe the Sabbath day, isn't really mentioned about it. He gets it in the catch-all phrase at the end of the, the little paragraph that he's talking about. And so he's saying, here's, here's from a general disposition against God to specific acts against others. And he shows, here's going from the root problem that you have with God to the fruit problem that you have with people, with others. And that's what we see in a general sense. That's, you know, right away comes to mind the issue of the civil rights problem back in the 60s and prior to that. That's a sin issue of how black Americans were treated. That's a sin issue. Or maybe it was the American Indians, how they were treated. That's a sin issue. That's where it comes up from. And now we have the homosexuals, and they have convinced everyone that this is a civil issue. It's not a civil issue. It's a sin issue. Okay? And notice, Paul does not highlight one sin over another. It's like, here's the one really bad one, and here's the ones that are kind of... Well, it's true. Our culture has rejected the Ten Commandments altogether and in doing so has embraced certain sin lifestyles as normal and acceptable. But Christians have the tendency to highlight a few as worse than others. I've done that. I've thought in my mind, well, yeah, homosexuality is worse than da-da-da-da-da-da. Paul's not highlighting one versus the other. It's sin. Now, I realize that the consequences of a nation that accepts this as standard, as normal, then the consequences are going to grow and grow and grow to be a mess. And it shows the, the, um, the, the whole thing of the family falling apart. And it doesn't take, you know, much to see that. You know, we, we get that picture. And so moms and dads you know keep we need to keep praying and paul thank you for your prayers you know leading us in prayer this issue of you know parents new parents building up your family in the faith in the things of god's word okay so um look at the you know that's the list and and the rest of the list really follows along with the rest of the ten commandments except for the tenth commandment he doesn't really cover that about thou shalt not covet. But that's why he says, look at verse 10. He says, immoral men, homosexualities. That's covering all sorts of sexual sin. Not just one category of sexual sin. That's all, you know, immoral, immorality. Homosexuality. 
and kidnappers, those who steal, in this case, people. Kidnapping um, and liars and perjurers uh, giving, bearing false witness. And how, how much do we, you know, just let some of those just slide and we don't uh, get all, you know, stirred up about it like we do homosexuality. So verse 10 goes ahead and then he finishes off this list and he says, and look at it, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. That's whatever else is his catch-all phrase. Okay? So that's the diagnosis that the law gives us. It's not like, um, it, it's just like a doctor's coming up to you and saying, you know, you have this disease. It's there. You've got this disease. That's no fun. Many of us have been there. You know, we get that statement said. And we don't like that. We don't like that news. But if there's going to be healing and restoration, you need to hear the news. You've got to hear the news. It's the bad news, as we say. So now, point number four. Say, here's the, the issue of uh, the law. What's so good about it? It diagnoses man's true condition, shows the offenses that it's, yes, it's against God, it's against others. And now number four, it magnifies the law keeper. Let's just pretend for a minute that I could keep the law. That, in a sense, that would point to me now as an example. Well, look at Woody. He can keep the law. What's the matter with you? And so in, in, a, in a subtle way, the law magnifies the law keeper. And we know that we are the law breakers. We are the law breakers. And there's only one law keeper. It's Jesus. Okay? So here, now look at, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. What does it say? But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully or properly. That's why we come to this point, number 4. Here's Jesus. He's the law keeper. This is what we need to understand in the utilization of the law. It points to the gospel. The priority, letter A, the priority of his glorious gospel. And I'll explain why we jump to that and, and jump over sound doctrine. But first, verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Okay? This is what Paul's been entrusted with. Jesus kept the law perfectly. He's the law keeper. Matthew 5.17 says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I, did not, I have not come to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill. Fulfill them. Accomplish them. He did it. And until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot is going to disappear from it. Until the law, or from the law, until all is accomplished. Okay? Turn to Romans 8. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now, in verse 1, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was, 
through the flesh, God did. In other words, he's saying, you can't accomplish the law. It shows your weakness. Here's what God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. See, there's a demand from the law. And God's not going to ignore it. God will not ignore his law. And there's a demand on you from the law. Will you keep it? You say, well, I I try. Like a lot of good Americans, I, I, I really try to be a good person. I'm a good person, or she's a good person. She's, he's a good person, all that. It builds in our momentum, in our thinking, that makes us think, yeah, God will look at us and, and weigh out the good from the bad, because I try to be a good person. You fall short of the glory of God. You fall short. No matter how good you are, you fall short. And so here's what God did, sending his own son. Okay? The law could not, what the law could not do, meaning what, that the law could not save you. The sins we could never atone for, Jesus took them and bore them in his own body on the cross and became a curse for us on the cross. Cursed is he who hangs on the tree. And this is why it's called glorious gospel. A lot of times we're sitting around thinking, yeah, yeah, I know the gospel. And we don't think of it as the glorious gospel. It's glorious. Why? Because you were guilty of the the law. You couldn't keep it. You never could keep it. And Christ did. And he did it for you. So that you might have on your account, oh, the law is kept because of Jesus. We're the lawbreakers. That's a fact. The fact is he's the, on, the one and only law keeper. In fact, it, it's only by faith alone and Christ alone that you can be made right with God. It's about the great exchange can really take place. The fact was he bore your sin. You're pardoned. You're delivered. He was bruised. You were healed. He took your punishment. You walked and you were released. He became your curse. You became blessed. He was forsaken and you are accepted. Not only accepted, but adopted into his family through Christ. We need to live according to his glorious gospel. We need to live in his grace. It's by grace we're saved, and it needs to be by grace that we are living our lives. So, letter A is the priority of his glorious gospel, and letter B is by way of the prescription of sound doctrine. The prescription, what, what, you have prescriptions at home, what are they for? You know, they're, they're to help you maintain good health. It's supposed to help you stay healthy and stable in your physical life. And this is the prescription of sound doctrine in letter B. We need to notice in verse 10 and 11 what he says there. Whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, that's what the law is for. 
whatever else is contrary. And, and it's according to, those are important words there, according to the glorious gospel. So the sound doctrine comes forth from the glorious gospel to be health and stability for his church. Sound doctrine is about health. The very word sound is the word that we translate hygiene. That's where we get the word hygiene. Okay? And that's about our health. Okay? Stability in our lives. And here, sound doctrine is for the health of the local church. That by the Spirit, we use the sound doctrine, and not just and the idea of applying it. It's got to be used and applied, not just known. And my friend, we are a, a congregation, and we're of a people in America, especially that have it stored in the mind, but have not much action to it. And that's what we need to have a strong, healthy church. Sound doctrine. It comes where? From the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why there's so many warnings about false teachers in the New Testament. Warning after warning. Watch out for those false teachers. Watch out. And Paul in Acts 20. Hey, you know what? They're going to come up like wolves from amongst yourselves. Watch out. Make sure we're knowing what the gospel is and that that's where we're that's where we're swimming in that in that stream with the, the glorious gospel, which brings forth sound doctrine. And that's what much of what we'll see in the in the weeks ahead in First Timothy will be pointing us to sound doctrine. Now, as we wrap this up, think of how much we take such good care of ourselves physically so that we look good going to work, which is good. I'm not saying that's b- bad, but just think of the time that we spend making ourselves look good. As we go out to work, as we go to a family reunion or a high school, college reunion, whatever, we want to look good. And that's important. You know, sometimes I feel like I got to do a little more, you know, looking, you know, this saggy neck thing, you know, all that. I think if we spent just the same amount of time or more on the health of our church and the health of our spiritual lives. That's what he's driving at. That's what he's driving at. So, it's important that we acknowledge a couple of things here. We need to understand the law is good, but, you know, we've come to faith in Christ But here's the thing. Most of us are saying we're believers. But the thing you've got to understand is you keep reaching back to do some of the law to prove yourselves. And in Christ, you're already proven. You're already accepted and adopted. You're already his. You're his beloved child. Okay. And that is more subtle than we realize because we are we are performers. We want to perform for God. There's all sorts of issues that come up with this, folks. But we need to understand Jesus is the only one who kept the law perfectly. And so we just keep pointing back to him. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what you did. And that's what, you know, we'll be remembering here today. In his perfect sacrificial death for your 
your forgiveness, for your pardon. Let me finish it with this. The law, and just listen to this. If you want to close your eyes, whatever, just listen to this. The law shows us our sin. The gospel shows us a remedy for it. The law shows us our condemnation. The gospel shows us our redemption. The law is the word of despair. The gospel is the word of comfort. The law says, pay your debt. The gospel says, Christ has paid it. The law says, you are a sinner. Despair and you'll be damned. The gospel says, your sins are forgiven. Be of good comfort. You will be saved. The law says, make amends for your sin. The gospel says, Christ has made it for you. The law says, your father in heaven is angry with you. And the gospel says that Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He satisfied the wrath of God in what he did. The law asks, where is your righteousness and your goodness and satisfaction? And the gospel says, Christ is my righteousness, goodness, and satisfaction. The law says, you are bound and you are indebted to me. And the gospel says, Christ has delivered you from them all. Therefore, we will glory in the Christ who is crucified. We will glory in what he did. And may that spill over into every part of our lives. Not just on a Sunday morning, my friend. Not just on a Sunday morning. Not just when it's time to say, yeah, it's communion time. And, uh, you know, we'll, now we'll get serious. Well, yeah, it's important to get serious now about partaking of the, the elements that you don't partake of them in an unworthy way. Ask God to continue his work and he, he's promised it. Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it in the day of Christ Jesus. It's nice to ask uh, and have Pastor Brandon come and lead us uh, this morning in communion. So, um, Brandon.